Lord, we love You. Thank You for Your presence in this place. Thank You, God, that You've come to, to spend time with us, God. We're, we're thankful for Your presence. We're thankful that You never gave up on us, God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we know it was hard. We know that cross, it didn't feel good. But You never gave up on us. Thank You, Lord. God, I ask You right now, in my weakness, be made strong. I present myself to You in need of You, God. Anoint me as a vessel. Use me as Your mouthpiece, Lord. Help me to heed Your voice and get out of Your way. Say nothing more, nothing less than what You'd have me to, God. I pray right now, Lord, that You'd anoint the Scriptures and the ears of the hearers this morning. We ask You that You'd just fill this place as You already have through Your Word, through the preaching hour, God. Change eternity today. Save sinners. Revive your church. Have your way. We praise you. We love you. And all God's people said, Amen. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 12, we pick up in the story of Paul. We'll see here, he's going over his conversion and as many of you know, Paul wrote most of the New Testament and his name was Saul, but God changed his name to Paul. But where we pick up on the story, uh, Paul is actually on his way to Rome to stand before Caesar. And uh, he has been, he has imprisoned. The, the Pharisees have brought him, uh, accused him. And really what they were accusing him of was somewhat correct that he was exalting the name of Jesus. Amen. And he is with Governor Felix. He's already stood before Governor Felix and, and, and shared what was going on. And King Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, are, are passing through. And we see a conversation in the, I believe in the chapter right before where uh, the governor is explaining to them who uh, Paul is and what has happened. And where we pick up on the story, Paul is is going over his conversion. He's going over what we've read earlier in Acts chapter 9 of what Jesus Christ has done in his life. And that's right in the middle of the story where we pick up in Acts 26, verse 12. I want to say this this morning. Paul's recounting his conversion. I see Paul go and tell people what Jesus Christ has done in his life over and over again. There's not a doubt in my mind, even what we don't see of his life in the Scriptures, that he went everywhere and told everybody what God has done for him. Amen? I want to say this this morning. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ has changed my life. You know, I've heard some say that Branson likes to share his testimony. You're wrong. I love to share my testimony. Pastor, if you have me preaching a few more weeks on a Sunday morning, I might share the whole thing. I'll probably share it sometime in December. On guarantee, I'll share it sometime next year. I don't ever want to get over it. I'll never stop sharing that Jesus Christ plucked this, this man from the darkness, from drugs and from alcohol. He changed my life. October 21st, 2007. I've never been the same since I came in here that day. Never. Jesus Christ, He changed me. He pulled me from the darkness. You know, some say, well, Branch, I went through this life and I went through this night of phase. I just want you to know that may be true about others and you. That was not me. I wasn't in a phase. It was my life. I was in the darkness. And the only reason I stand here before you today is because of Jesus Christ. He saved me. And He changed me. I don't ever want to get over telling it. Many of you have heard it many times. You know, I remember I was working for Dave Gaston down in Winfield and Brother Glenn Ledbetter had, had come down to see me. He thought Dave was there, but he went ahead and just started talking to me. Amen? If you know Glenn, you'd think that's funny. Amen? 
he came to, to sit down and talk. And I had preached at their church for, uh, I'd preached down in Wellington a few weeks before for Charlotte and the youth group. And he had sat down and he shared with me his testimony, what God had done in his life. And he looked at me and he just cried and told me how God saved him. And, and when he came in a few weeks later, it was me again, and he sat down at my desk, there was nothing going on, and he just started telling it to me again. And I started thinking, you know, Glenn, I just saw you two or three weeks ago. And he's telling it to me again. You know what? He started, but I didn't, I didn't say nothing, I was thinking that. He started to tell it to me again, and he just started weeping and crying. How old is Glenn? He's in his 80s. Do you know how long ago that was? Was it 50 years ago, more than that? Seriously. And you know what? He began to weep. And he began to cry. And he looked me in the eyes. And you'd have thought that it just happened last Sunday. And I thought, I remember sitting there looking at him. I thought, that's what I want to be. I don't ever want to get over it. I don't ever want to get past it. I want to stay in that place where I'm still excited that Jesus Christ pulled me from the darkness. I was going to hell. Now I'm going to heaven. So Paul recounts the version, conversion over and over again. And that's where we pick up. And in Acts chapter 26 and verse 12, While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus, with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. So Paul, he's going back over his conversion. Notice he, was, he had been given authority. He had been given authority and commission from the chief priest. What was that to do? To, to imprison Christians. Paul, he, Saul, Paul, I'll just say Paul, but he hated, when he was Saul, he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated the name of Jesus. He was persecuting the church. And it's incredible. If you stop it and think about that. Who was he sent by? The temple, the, the Pharisees. He was sent by the religious leaders of the church. Sent him. This you gotta understand this. This is someone who read this Bible. The Pharisees could quote to you the first five books of the Bible. They were very learned in the law. This is somebody who went to church every week, who knew Scripture, and was coming against Jesus. Yeah, it's incredible to me today. How much religion we have and how little of God we have. Me, me, Ken, me, me and Kenny had mentioned last night in the trailer. Hey, he said he believed this and I believe this too. He said, those are the ones that are going to stand in Matthew chapter 7 and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I know you? Didn't I this and that? He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's incredible today how much religion and how much church we have and how much little of God we have. You know, I was in church for years and years. I told Kenny this last night. What you've experienced this morning in about five seconds, I'd never experienced in my entire life being in church my whole life. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they get through it. I couldn't do it. So here we see he's persecuting the church of God. He's on the road. He's on, the, he's on his way to, to continue to do the same. And he says, at midday, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining, and those who journeyed around me. We see the very glory in the presence of God. Knock them and all their men to their feet. 
And it says, and when we had all, and when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to know this this morning. Those that persecute the church, those that persecute you, God sees that as a persecution on Himself. We are His children. And He loves us oh so dearly. I was thinking the other night, some of you guys got kids. You know when you hold your kids? You ever watch your kids and just, just look at their hands and their fingers? You know you just look at their feet and the way they sit there? They're not even, they don't even know that you're looking at them. You know what I'm talking about? And you're gazing upon them. Look at just those little things. I began to think about that love and how God's love transcends that of a parent. Yeah. And I began to think, who cares about these stupid hands? <laughs> but God does. Yeah. Yeah. I began to think about all the little things that I do. and God does. He looks on you like that. He thinks on you. He cares for you. If that don't make you feel this special this morning, I don't know what will. Amen? So also, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I used to always read that and just let it pass right over. So he's walking along the road. He's telling a story. I'm walking along the road. The glory and the presence of God. Now, he doesn't know that's what it is yet, but a light brighter than the sun knocks me to the ground. Says, Saul, Saul, he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then, and then listen to what he says. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A lot of times, I, I honestly believe we read that and pass right over. What does that mean? A goad is like a pointed stick. And I was a little confused whether it was on the back of the plow or whether they used it to actually poke the, 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 the donkey or the oxen. But it was a, some sort of pointed stick. And as they were going, the cattle, it would poke them to keep going. So if you were to turn and kick against the goat, it'd be like if you held, if, if pastor held a pointed stick out and I kicked against it, it would hurt really bad. Now he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I'm going to tell you what I believe this means this morning. I believe that Jesus Christ personally had already been pricking the heart of Saul. I believe he had already been knocking up at his door. I believe that Saul, he was convicted. I believe that's what it means. I believe that his heart was already being pricked. Maybe he didn't sleep the well that night before. Maybe a few weeks before, he was sitting there laying in his bed and he was thinking about what he had done. It's incredible how Jesus Christ knows that we're going through. You know, me and you and all the other men around, they may have just, you know, that may have just flew over. But Saul knew what had been going on in his heart. I believe this. I believe he got hit to the spot, knocked to the ground, and he said, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads, isn't it? It's hard for you to reject me, isn't it? Some of you need to hear this this morning. It's hard for you to keep going your own way, isn't it? It's hard for you to continually reject Jesus day after day and do your own thing and do what you want to do. It's hard for you to see your kids growing up while you stand there each and every day and refuse to worship Me, refuse to come to My house, refuse to seek Me and praise Me. 
It's hard without me, isn't it? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, verse 15, Who are you, Lord? When that says Lord, that does not mean like showing Him respect, knowing who He is at all. That word really is translated, it would be better translated, deity. Who are you? Who are you, spirit? Who are you, deity? And he said, as he's laying there, knocked to the ground, someone speaks right into his spirit, speaks right into his soul, looks past all the anger, looks past all the fear, looks past all the doubt, speaks right to his spirit. Who are you, spirit? Trembling. And he says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Can you imagine the horror that came over Paul? The name he had persecuted. Jesus, whom he had persecuted. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. When I, when I thought of this, I thought about the day that I got saved. I even thought of my Pastor Joplin's testimony in that moment where he knew God had brought him to a place and God spoke to him and he realized God loved him and, and brought him to that place. If you've heard Pastor Joplin's testimony, you know there was a moment and a time where he realized God brought him there, but then there was a moment of instantly, I stand before God guilty. He knows everything I've done. I remember that moment on October 21st, 2007, sitting back there. I realized that God loved me and He brought me to this place and He said, I am Jesus. But then He had to finish and say, whom you are persecuting. That's a scary moment. Pastor Josh Bush put something on Facebook the other day. He said, often we preach on God's love and God's forgiveness and His grace and mercy and praise God we should. He said, often today, the church, the overall church, we leave out the judgment of God. You need to know this this morning. If this is for one person in this place, if one person gets saved here today, it will all be worth it. But you need to know this this morning. If you reject Jesus Christ, there will be a real hell to pay. There is a real place called hell. You may be religious. You may know Scripture. You may go to church when I ask you. Is He your Master and your Savior? Do you stand guilty before Him today? Are you confident that if Jesus Christ came back, He'd look to you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. A few weeks ago, for some reason, whatever it was, I, I really got hung up on the rich man and Lazarus. And I began to think of the rich man crying out from hell. I began to think of the torment, of the pain, of the anguish, of eternity, eternal separation from God. Hell is a real place. There is a real judgment. Many people today say, oh, only God can judge me. Friend, you are correct, and someday He will. It's not my job to judge you, but it is my job to tell you the truth of God's Word that there is a real judgment. There is a real hell. There is a real place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. And I began to think of the rich man moaning and screaming and crying out in the hell. 
And in Luke, I'm not going to read the whole story. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Wealth does not automatically condemn one to hell. Nor does poverty in this life guarantee eternity with God. One's destiny depends upon your relationship with God, which is often reflected in attitude, and your attitude towards material possessions and the things of this life. So, in verse 25, what he said, Abraham said, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus bad things. But now He is comforted and you are tormented. Choosing Jesus, there is momentary affliction. There is suffering in this life. Often as Christians, we want the easy road. God, take me to this place. God, empty me of myself. God, change me. But take me on easy street to get there. Friend, if you look, if you know the the Bible, if you know God's Word, suffering and affliction is part of this life. But listen, Choosing Jesus, choosing the momentary affliction is choosing eternity in heaven. It's choosing eternal comfort. In essence, what he was saying was this to the rich man in hell. Remember in this life, remember when you were here, you weren't really concerned about eternal things. You weren't really concerned about Jesus. You weren't really concerned about serving God so much. You were concerned about your kingdom. You're concerned about the things of us life for you. My, my, how we see his attitude change as he's tormented in the flames. He acquired some things in hell. He acquired concern. He acquired a burden, a willingness. He acquired a boldness, an audacity to say something. You know, someday this faith will be my sight. The end of my faith will be sight. That's true for everybody, whether you go to heaven or hell. Whether you believe it or not. You know, it's something that really gripped me and got me at the end. In verse 28, verse 27, he said, Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I've got a note in my Bible that said Jesus arose from the dead and they still don't believe. I see his concern for his brothers. I don't know why. I just meditated on that one thought for about a week or so. We see a man tormented in the flames of hell and his thoughts are in his brothers that are still on earth. Even begging someone from the afterlife just to go back and tell him, somebody tell my family, somebody tell my brothers not to come to these flames. Somebody tell them not to come to this place of torment. 
Somebody tell them not to come to this place of sorrow, of hopelessness, of despair, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody tell them so they don't come and be consumed like these flames for eternity. Somebody go! Somebody! And here we sit, week in and week out, building our own kingdoms, worried about our own stuff, Much like the rich man, not thinking and worrying about eternity at all. While we've got our friends and our lost brothers, our sisters, our family, our friends, and Jesus Christ has placed us as a light into the darkness, and we say nothing. If you can learn, one thing I learned, if you can learn something from the rich man, have the audacity and the boldness today. Have it now. Don't wait till it's too late. Hell is a real place. Back to Acts chapter 26, verse 15. So he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Verse 16, two words. So there he is on the, on the road. There he is. He's on his way to persecute the church. A light from heaven shines brighter than the sun knocks him to the ground. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And as that fear and that, 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 that it grips him, as it comes over him, he realizes how wrong he was. And there's so much going on in his mind in such a short amount of time. He realizes I'm guilty. This is Jesus who I've persecuted. In verse 16, two words, you know what Jesus says? But rise. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't some of you thankful for the butt rise? I know you that, that day I remember when I got saved, it was as I stood before God guilty. I know you've messed up. I know you've sinned against me. I know you've done this and that. But rise. Oh, some of you ought to be thankful this morning for butt rise. Hallelujah. Thankful that Jesus has said to you, but rise. But rise. But rise and stand on your feet. Hallelujah. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things of which I will yet reveal to you. Can I tell you this morning, church, we have purpose. We have a destiny. But rise and stand on your feet. The power of God has been given. We are in the last days according to Acts chapter 2. The Spirit has been given. The Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Oh, we have been given the power of God. We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have no excuse but to not walk around empowered by God. We have purpose. What was it? For this purpose to what? To minister and witness of the things which you have seen. God wants us to minister the things we've seen. You know, I'll tell you often why we don't minister the things we've seen. We walk around and we always look at ourselves. And we say, I'm not enough, Lord. We forget that God has given us purpose. We forget that we are sons and daughters of the King of kings, of the Lord of lords. We forget that the Bible says in the last days, He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. We have forgotten the Bible says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. Your old men shall see visions. I will pour out My Spirit. That is, Notice that's not past tense. You know what? I will pour out my Spirit, God says. That's good for today. That's good for tomorrow. He says, I will pour out my Spirit. Now, I'll tell you what we do. 
Rather than walk in the power of God, rather than but rise and stand to our feet, we stand outside the gates and we argue with the enemy. The Bible says you can boldly and confidently enter into the throne room of God. But many a time, many of us don't. We walk around in the natural realm. We walk around in the flesh, believing what I feel all the time, how I think all the time, rather than saying, be quiet, devil. Be quiet, flesh. I am who He says that I am. A child of the King of Kings. We stand outside the gate and argue with the enemy. Friend, blow past them. Enter into boldly, confidently, as He's told you you can. We often stand outside and argue with the enemy and, and look and say, well, I know that this, we're just arguing about anything. Well, I know you said this. And listen, here's, and we start arguing with the enemy. Why I can go in, why I can't do this, why I can't do that. You know what? I'll tell you what our, a lot of our problem is. We look at ourselves and instead of looking at what God says about us, we're like, well, I'm just not enough. Friend, if in the natural realm God wanted you to be enough, if in the natural realm God wanted you to, to, what am I trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. You remember David and Goliath? You remember Saul, King Saul, head and shoulders taller than everybody. Remember all his big armor that wouldn't fit on David? Friend, if God needed you to be a super powerhouse, then God would have used Saul to defeat the Goliath. So God would have used the man that was a head and shoulders taller than everybody. He would have used the guy that looked, you know, real buff and strong that was popular. But God didn't use that man. Because God uses the weak to lead the strong. In our weakness, He is made strong in our foolishness. God, stop looking at yourself and saying, I'm not enough. Uh, you think about Goliath and the armies of Israel trembling. And all the army of Israel there, all men of war, men of the sword and the shield. We see King Saul and the Goliath speaking to the armies of Israel, speaking against God. And they all tremble. And then here comes a single shepherd boy. A shepherd boy with a slingshot. Think about it. Dude had a slingshot. And he says, who dares defy my God in the armies of Israel? Who dares defy my God? You're afraid of this giant? And we know the story. David ran towards Goliath. Took that slingshot, let it go. I heard Derek stand and say, you know, it hit him in the head and he fell forward. That's because when the slingshot, when the stone hit him, God smacked him on the back of the head and he fell on his face. And then you know what David the shepherd boy did? He picked up the sword of Goliath and took off his head. I like that part. Kids ain't in here, amen. I can say that. Hallelujah. What I'm getting at is this. Quit looking around. Thank God David didn't say, well, you know, look at all these guys. Here's an entire army afraid. Here's King Saul, uh, you know, head and shoulders taller than everybody. All I got this little slingshot. Hey, sometimes faith, listen, your faith will be built. He said, oh, King, listen, I done defeated the lion and the bear. This, this giant, this Philistine, he's going to go down just like they did. See, that's a faith in God. That's a faith in God. David didn't look at myself and say, oh man, I'm not enough. He looked at God and said, oh boy, you're more than enough. I got off preaching so good I forgot where I was, amen. Minister of what? He said, I called you to minister the things you've seen. 
and witnessed? What have you seen? What have you witnessed? I talked about sharing our testimony this morning. I talked about sharing the things that you see. Listen, many of us, I'm just being honest, maybe this is just my opinion, I could be wrong. But I feel like we don't share a lot to to the people that need to hear it of the things we've seen and witnessed. I feel like we just don't share it. We don't tell people about it. Listen, some people you are like, well, Branson, my testimony is not this or that. Listen, if you were in the darkness and you done got saved, that's powerful and somebody needs to hear it. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. By the word of your testimony. If you got saved, it's powerful. I hate it when people say, well, my testimony is not like yours. Yes, it is. I don't care if you've never done drugs or drink in your life, if you're an altar boy your whole life. When you went from darkness to light, when you got saved and born again, that is powerful. You know, the other day I caught myself, I, I, was, telling somebody, I, I was telling somebody about Joplin's testimony. I said, yeah, I mean, I just start spouting it off. I was like, oh yeah, and he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you ought to see this guy wags up at my church. My goodness, you ought to hear about my deacon. I said, man, my deacon, he came in an alcoholic, a drunk, living this lifestyle, living that. Yeah, he came in one time, didn't even really plan on it. Came to, was it her baptism? Came to see Kelly's baptism. That was the only reason he came. He'll tell you, he didn't even want to come in here. But there's a man named Jacob Berry, a servant of the Most High God, preaching. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, he spoke to him. And I said, guess what? He changed. He got saved. He's never been the same since. No more drinking. No more of the dark lifestyle. And I was a deacon at our church. I told you we're a bunch of scallywags. He said, really? I said, yeah, really? Come this week. Tell them of the things you've seen. Of the things that you've witnessed. Tell them of the things of God. You know, a lot of people, I believe in our testimonies. On any testimony. Listen, you can argue with me all day long about the Bible. Okay? I really don't even care to. You can argue with this all day long, but you cannot argue. And I love, uh, you know, I can tell this to, it's different when I tell people in the church who already know me. I try and, and I, I don't like ever going, I've never gone into deep detail about my testimony, but the people that already knew me, I don't have to go and tell them all that stuff because they already know. They know. There's some people in Derby to this day, if they see me, they turn and walk the other way. I've done my best to say, hey, I love God. I'm like, yeah, all right. Stay away, pal. You t- you tell them of the things that you've seen. You can argue all day long with this, but you cannot argue that Branson Sears from October 20th, 2007, October 21st, 2007, is the same man standing here before you. You can't argue with that. You can't argue. If you knew Kevin, try and argue with it. He's a standing testimony of Jesus Christ. He's a standing testimony of God's power, of who He is, that He is alive, that there is a God in heaven, that there is heaven in hell. One of my last days working with Dave Gaston, about a month ago, something like that, four or five weeks ago. And I was standing there, I looked at him, and I just said to him, I said, you really just got off of that bar stool, huh? 
He's like, yeah. <laughs> he just looked at me and started tearing up and said, yep, just got up and left. Dave wouldn't mind me telling this. He was, dr- <laughs> he was a drunk, living a wicked lifestyle for years. He was on a bar stool over here at the shop 13 or 14 years ago. There was a man next to him, and he was a hardcore alcoholic. He was a man next to him, and he said, Dave said to the guy, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? And they said, oh, well, so-and-so got off into alcohol, and this, lost his job, lost his wife, lost his kids, and now he's dead. And Dave sat there, and in that moment, in that time, the Holy Spirit came down and said, Dave, if you don't get off of that bar stool, that's going to be you. And you know what? He told me with his glass half full sitting there at the bar, he got up and left and he's never been the same since. Jesus Christ came and changed him. Jesus Christ came and saved him and sought him out in a dark place. Sought him out in the bar. Friend, what I'm getting at is this. Church of the living God, arise. Stand on your feet. What is your purpose? To witness of the things you've seen to witness of the things that you've heard. That song says, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Some of us, the things of God have grown dim. The things, the things of the spirit realm has grown dim because we're so focused on the things of this world. Take a lesson from the rich man. Look unto Jesus now. Look unto eternity now. Don't worry about the comforts and the things of this life now, but worry about God. Worry about the things of the Spirit. Worry about your friends and your family that need to go to heaven while you still can. Verse 17 says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. That's to everybody. Verse 18, I love this. He said, recap, Paul, you've got a purpose. Christian, you've got a purpose. Don't stand up here and think that that's just Branson's purpose. A Pastor Jacob Berry, a Pastor Joplin. You have a purpose, child of God. Son and daughter of the living God, you have been called to minister and to witness of the things that you've seen. Verse 18, why? He's called to be a light in the darkness. Verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Does it get any more plain than that? My goodness. To deliver them from darkness. To deliver them from the power of Satan. Can I tell you this morning, God wants you and I to be that vessel. Listen, I've said this many times, if God can speak through a donkey, surely He can speak through me. Oh, if God can burn and use... Remember, God used the burning bush as a vessel. And Moses, I'm paraphrasing, but it caught his eye. He said, what is this thing that's burning, yet it's not consumed? Church, be the burning bush. Be a vessel for God to consume you with fire. That people will look and say, my goodness, what is this thing? My goodness, what is this person? What is on their life? What is this joy? What is this peace? We may be going through something, but listen... One time, one of the best times for the world to see your peace and your joy is during your affliction. Remember, Jock Turner mentioned it last week. I believe it was last week. Remember Paul and Silas singing in the prison cell at the midnight hour. Oh boy. Sometimes we don't feel like we're in the darkness and we're chained up by the enemy. 
Some of us are just angry. There's other things spouting out of our mouth. Let that be a lesson to us, man. Be singing in that midnight hour because other people are paying attention. And sometimes that's the best time for them to pay attention. When they see you in your affliction, when they see you in your darkness, minister of the things you've seen and heard. Verse 19 says, this is my last verse, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Charles Spurgeon once said, We must take care that we do not neglect heavenly munitions through fear of being considered visionary. We must not be staggered even by the dread of being styled fanatical or out of our minds. For to stifle a thought from God is no small sin. You start telling people the things you've seen and witnessed, they may think you're crazy. Church, don't be disobedient to the heavenly vision. Don't be disobedient to the heavenly calling on your life. Stop standing outside the gates. Stop looking. Don't, don't be, like I said earlier, what if King David, stop looking around saying, I'm not enough. Get your eyes onto Christ. Looking unto Jesus. Get your eyes off of yourself. If you look close enough, you'd see the blood of the Lamb who was slain anyways. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want to ask our worship team to go ahead and come this morning. I believe this with all my heart. I believe that there's somebody in here this morning that needs to know Jesus. I honestly believe with all my heart that there's someone in here that needs to be saved. I hope the glory of God has spoken to you. I hope spiritually the glory of God has knocked you to your feet. I want you to know this this morning, whoever I'm talking to. Jesus looks at you and says, but rise. If you need to be saved this morning, don't stay in your pew. Don't stay in your spot. Don't turn them away. We never know. We never know the time. We never know when we're going to hear that trumpet sound. We never know. You're not promised tomorrow. We hear about crazy things that happen all the time. We just think that's never going to be us. Well, the things that the crazy things happen to, those people, they never thought it'd be them either. What am I getting at? Don't turn them away today. If He's come after your soul today, don't turn them away. Don't wait until it's too late like the rich man. Don't wait and cry from, from the pits of hell, from the pits of, uh, of, of despair. Don't wait until you have acquired true hopelessness to have faith. God will use you as a light. You know, often those that we pray for in our life, God wants to use you in their life. I want to encourage you today. Listen, friends, ma'am, sir, today is your day. You know, I was thinking about that rich man. I doubt if he had the chance to come back and be with us here in service this morning. I bet you when we gave the altar call, I bet you he would not have said, man, I'm really worried about these people and what they think over here. I bet you he'd have sprinted to the altar and screamed at the top of his lungs, God, save me. 
Don't wait until it's too late. Church, your sons and daughters of the King of Kings, of the Lord of Lords, all has been given. The victory has been won. Maybe you're not just feeling it. So what? Get to a place where, you know what, I had to do this this morning for myself. I'll tell this to you. You, you say, well, you should have had more faith. We'll keep praying for me. Amen? I said this to my this morning. You know what? I'm not really feeling it this morning. I'm really not feeling anything this morning, God. It's time to preach camp meeting. I went and knelt in Pastor Joplin's office and I just decided, you know what? God's promises are good for me right now. I don't care whether I feel it. And I just look to heaven and I say, God, I'm thankful that you've been faithful. God, I'm thankful for your grace. God, I'm thankful for your mercy. I don't feel you right now, but I don't even need to. God, I'm just going to sit here and praise you with my mouth, with my lips and my tongue, because I know you're good, because I know you're faithful, whether I feel it or not. Choose God's Word, not your feelings. Faith, not feelings. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. You can walk by faith, child of God. Everyone in this place, stand to your feet. These altars are open as our worship band sings a song. If you need to be saved, come forward and be saved. Child of God, if you've got something, maybe you just want to praise Him. Maybe you just want to exalt Him. Maybe you want to cry out for your brothers and sisters. Whatever the need may be, these altars are open. Won't you come?